A new report from CoreSight Research predicts that up to 25,000 U.S. retail stores will shutter this year. Meanwhile, e-commerce sales around the world are on the rise. And this just in, Instacart shoppers are ready to deliver all of your Big Lots favorites. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, June 15th, and this is your Retail Rundown. Today, we're joined by guests Tiago Garcia and Eric Solvold. Tiago is the Vice President of Customer Experience at Vitex Commerce Cloud and an e-commerce expert with over 15 years building, growing, and maximizing digital commerce and omni-channel. Eric is the founder of Eric's Bikes Shop. Founded in 1977, Eric's is the largest independent bicycle dealer in the United States, with 27 stores in four states and more than 450 employees. Tiago, Eric, thank you for joining today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. So we'll jump in and talk a little bit about store closures. U.S. retailers are projected to shutter somewhere between 20,000 and 25,000 stores this year, according to CoreSight Research. More than half of those closures are projected to occur in America's malls. And CoreSight recently updated their tracking predictions, showing a rise in closures since its pre-pandemic forecast, which projected five to 10,000 fewer closures. So far this year, CoreSight recorded around 4,000 closures in the U.S., including retailers such as Pier 1 Imports. Their entire 900-store fleet is closing, 300 GNC stores, 250 Victoria's Secret stores, 232 Tuesday morning locations, and 154 JCPenney stores. Just last week, Zales, Jared, and K Jewelers' parent company announced plans to permanently close 380 of its stores across the U.S. and in the U.K., Although Macy's saw better than expected sales from stores after COVID-19 lockdowns, Macy's chief financial officer, Felicia Williams, warned retailers that she did not foresee business returning to normal until late 2021. A 2017 report by Credit Suisse predicted that one in four U.S. malls would close by 2022. Eric, based on the number of department stores projected to shutter this year, do you think we're likely to see an increase of mall closures specifically? I think the experience will be interesting in terms of what, what, how safe will people feel going into malls. Our stores are not are mostly in strip malls or freestanding, and you know we're finding people that are more comfortable with that experience as they want to social distance and they want to be having a little more space, but I think it's going to accelerate the repurpose of malls in our area. For example, some of the malls have been converted into fitness facilities and so forth, or schools and things of that nature. So I think that might accelerate that trend. Yeah, I, I agree. Starbucks just yesterday announced 400 store closures. I have a feeling that some of those are in mall settings. And then, you know, just to piggyback, Neiman Marcus, J. Crew, and JCPenney also through bankruptcy, and those are direct impact in mall foot traffic. And then you put on top of that between 20 and 30 million Americans unemployed right now, and with no end in sight in terms of you know, whether or not we're out of a pandemic or reopening states, but seeing a rise in areas uh, from coronavirus outbreaks. So it's still very murky in the situation, but we can, I certainly can understand how this trend is continuing to worsen for mall experiences in, in specific. Mm -hmm. So Eric, you said it really depends on how safe people feel. And you mentioned some of the malls in your area have been converted to fitness facilities. Tiago, have you seen any interesting mall repurposes? Yes, 
I think that there's a great opportunity in the warehousing, fulfillment, and distribution centers. We're starting to see when malls closed in Brazil, for instance, and I was talking to my family down there, they were able to actually keep some stores still operating, but through fulfillment centers only. Mm. And so I'm, I'm thinking that this trend of creating some pickup locations and warehouse fulfillments and utilizing the mall spaces, there are closures of companies like Amazon might come in and, and look at that retail space as new distribution centers opportunities. I love that because with the COVID pandemic, we've seen a lot of issues with supply chain and we've heard a lot about localization of the supply chain. Eric, from your business perspective, um, being the owner of Eric Spikes, did you have problems with the supply chain or do you have any insight as to how retailers are responding there? Yeah, in our industry, because the factories were shut most of January and February, that's really impacted our supply chain currently because that product, which would have been produced in the first quarter of the year, would be delivered now. So the bike industry in particular has benefited from, in a weird sort of way, from COVID because biking is a great social distancing sport. And it was an activity that most states were allowing people to do uh, during the COVID stay-at-home orders, our business was considered essential because of transportation. So most states allowed us to remain open. So we had a dramatic uptick in our in our sales and demand, which compounded the issue of supply, which was going to be a problem regardless of the demand due to the factory shutdown. So kind of got hit double whammy. And then kind of piggybacking on the earlier question too about the trend of people wanting to just pick up digitally, order, pick up in store, pick up, do a digital transaction, pick up in store has accelerated as well, which is also uh, feeling that our stores, even though we're not located in malls per se, a good chunk of our business is becoming just a fulfillment model where the, the, the order is just fulfilled from the store rather than the person coming in and shopping and selecting in the store. We're doing more of that digitally. And it's crazy because, you know, 10, 20 years ago to think about buying a bike online would not be something most people would do. It's very touch and feel sort of buying process. But now I think that it's switching that way. And you said that your stores were considered essential because of the transportation aspect and also because most places were still allowing people to ride their bicycle. What was that like just transitioning so quickly and having to sanitize the stores? I mean, was it difficult to adjust faster than maybe other retailers who closed and had some time? Every day was different. We were, you know, you had to kind of figure it out as you go along. You wanted to, you know, obviously safety was our number one priority, safety of our staff, safety of our customers coming in. We implemented pretty quickly a, uh, you know, our doors are actually locked. We only let in a limited number of people and we're still continuing that today where we have a limited number of customers in the store at a time. So, you know, any given day we have a line out the door and limit the time and quantity of people in the store. And we're sanitizing. We have implemented more curbside drop-off. We've amplified our pickup and store. And the, the biggest challenge I think for most retailers I've talked to during the COVID crisis was it was like a overnight switch in terms of how your business was conducted. You were going along operating one way and all of a sudden your digital capabilities had to be amplified dramatically because the consumer demanded that shopping experience. So if you weren't prepared to conduct business digitally, to conduct business with pickup and store, 
really be problematic for you in today's world. And that changed very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. The change happened so fast and to be agile and respond to that is what makes the difference really. And Tiago, I wanted to pass it to you just quickly here because you have so much e-commerce expertise throughout your career and now working with Vtex. Did you see an uptick in the amount of clients coming to you asking to help them enhance their digital experience when the pandemic started? Yes, we're absolutely experiencing that demand. And also, you know, it's Black Friday every day for most of our customers because of the the demand that we're having worldwide. And I wanted to just add one anecdotal thing. Retail experience, in my, my mind, currently is very inefficient. And I'll illustrate that. My wife hates shopping. <laughs> she hates shopping because if she goes, and I think she's not alone, right? If she goes and tries to find a pair of jeans or a pair of shoes, the entire experience is very frustrating because you have to go through a number of stores and then try out different apparel until you find something that fits or something that is right. And maybe that, you know, after two, three hours, you find it, it might not be the right price that you're expecting to pay for the product. And so most of the times when my wife goes shop, she comes home empty handed. And it is a very inefficient experience. If you think about it from all the time and energy that is put behind something like that. So it makes sense for me that consumers are doing their research and discovery online because you're saving the time and you're narrowing choice. And then when they're ready to buy, they want that convenience that Eric was talking about. Now I know which type of bike I have. I have all the information that I need online. I just need to go and pick up. So stores that have broken these barriers, these pain points for the consumer are doing really well. And stores that have expedited the pickup or curbside and then created more of a fulfillment center type of model are going to survive and going to thrive in this new economy as folks start to become much more accustomed to this type of shopping. And it wasn't not too long ago that people felt that they still needed to go to stores to buy things like grocery because they may have felt awkward as someone was picking their grapes or their bananas or their produce. And nowadays, you know, I, I'm 100% convinced and, and we've converted to just curbside pickup for grocery or delivery, home delivery for grocery, because it's the most efficient way and prices come down and it's comparable. And if you are in a subscriber of Instacart or Amazon Prime or you know, even utilizing Walmart's grocery delivery and pickup, you're just saving so much more time and folks are doing the shopping for you. So I feel like this trend is here to stay and folks that have had some reservation about it are now becoming more convinced. And I see that there is a rise in, in this, what we call the surrogate shopping experience, which is you're connecting directly with a sales associate at the store through WhatsApp or through some sort of video chat. And that person is doing the shopping for you, is taking pictures, is talking to you and placing the mm -hmm. order on your behalf as if they were in the store. And I can see that very organic type of shopping evolving very rapidly in the next few months. Certainly. And I like the term surrogate shopping experience. I will say that's the first time I've heard it called that. So it, I like that. I like how it sounds. And you made a good point, Chago, about adding convenience, reducing friction, all of the things making e-commerce more attractive to today and tomorrow's consumer. And this is a good segue to hop into our next segment, which focuses on e-commerce. 
But first, I wanted to tell our listeners a little bit more about Vtex. Vtex is the first and only global, fully integrated end-to-end commerce solution with native marketplace and OMS capabilities. Vtex helps companies in retail, manufacturing, wholesale, groceries, consumer packaged goods, and other verticals to sell more, operate more efficiently, scale seamlessly, and deliver remarkable customer experience. Find out more about what VTEX can do for your business at www.vtex.com. Non-essential shops in the UK reopened today after two and a half months of lockdown restrictions. The British Retail Consortium did say, however, that it did not expect customers to flock back to the high street. Weak consumer confidence and social distancing rules are likely to hold back sales, according to the BRC chief executive officer. Consumers do, however, appear ready to spend. Last month, online non-food spending in the UK rose by a record 60% year over year. In the US, eMarketer is calling for e-commerce sales to surge 18% this year. And in India, nearly 50% of consumers over the age of 55 are now drifting toward online purchases, according to a Deloitte India study. Chiaga, with these numbers in mind, should the majority of retailers be doubling down on e-commerce, or do you think it's more skewed toward the essential businesses, the grocers, et cetera? This kind of goes along with my perception and understanding that the current retail experience is very inefficient. And I think that retailers should really focus on accelerating their own disruption by bringing folks here, trying to disrupt them on the outside and, and incubating them into their own processes and trying to come up with a better business model that works in the current day and age. I'm a strong proponent of understanding that e-commerce is a key accelerator, that there is a trend behind it, and folks will continue to adopt that for multiple categories as they become more like grocery, for instance, right? We talked about it two months ago, the penetration was not even there. And now folks are, are adopting that as their method of delivery and getting their grocery at home. So I feel that retailers should really look inward and try to find ways to disrupt themselves before someone else does it. And a great way to do that is by looking at what are the pain points? What are the inefficiencies in the current experience? And how can you now create solutions through technology that enables you to provide a differentiated experience and therefore survive and create a better outcome for you? Good points, Tiago, especially considering that there are increases in e-commerce across sectors. And like you said, it's Black Friday every day, even for some of the apparel retailers. So passing this to you, Eric, what are your thoughts on e-commerce in general? I mean, do you see a day where people might purchase up to half of the things they buy online or more? Well, I think in our business, we define e-commerce through via multiple channels. Some people think of e-commerce traditionally as buy it online and ship it to the consumer. A big part of what we're what's happening in our business is buy online, pick up in store. Still, I would still define that as an e-commerce transaction. We're a specialty retailer, so we're having a lot of sales that are consultative with the customer provide education, selling a a higher-end product. And I think the winning retailers in the future are going to be the ones that are able to serve the customer any way, anyhow they want us to be served, whether that's with an in-store experience, whether that's a buy online pickup in store, whether that's a true e-commerce buy online ship directly to the consumer. And so what we're doing in our business is really making sure that we're strong in all those areas so that 
we can be relevant to the customer however they want to buy. But I think that the trends towards a digital transaction have been accelerated several years in just the last two months with COVID. So that those trends that were moving that way in a slow way are now three, four, five years ahead of where we would have been without COVID. And we have been rapidly investing. And I would say when you asked the question earlier about how are we adapting to serve our customers during COVID, what we're spending extreme amounts of energy on is just making sure our digital experience can handle that. I mean, it's many, many times the activity online that we're accustomed to pre-COVID. So that's been the biggest uh, adaption we've had to make in terms of the business itself. And I did notice, I took a look at your website and I saw you have a new turbo electric bike and very customized options. I mean, these are high end, like you said, specialty retail products. So would a brand like yours consider doing or are you doing live streaming or anything where you're interacting and having that surrogate shopping experience Tiago mentioned with the customers, or is it really best suited for in-person? We're uh, exploring different ways to have that interaction with the customer. I will tell you what, there is friction in that a little bit in terms of how do you, I mean, I think the challenge has been in the acceleration of this is how do you adapt your staffing to serve the customer. Now, I've talked to retailers in a lot of different industries and everybody's having this same challenge is most retailers are set up to serve the customer a certain way. When that gets flipped in reverse from being an in-store experience to a digital experience, your staffing and your service levels may not adapt as quickly that way as you'd like them to. So serving the customer digitally with a surrogate experience is a definitely a future, but it's not something you can do on a on a dime, right? You can't just flip a switch and all of a sudden that happens because you've got right. to figure out how to your staff and we're still serving people in store because you know we still have stores that are open. We still have a product that people want to ride, test. We have service departments. So the in-store experience, the physical experience is still very important to our business and I think still always will be in our business, but it will be enhanced by the digital experience. So I think I'm not a believer in an all digital world where everything happens digitally and we never have an appearance at a store. I'm a believer in a world where all of that integrates together and you can buy and there's less friction between all those different channels, but it becomes a really convenient way for the customer to shop with you, to interact, get what they want. And there's going to be a variety of different ways how people are going to want to do that. So your, your digital platforms, your store platforms, your staffing all need to be aligned to serve the customer in the best way. Mm-hmm. That's quite the challenge to to reach with um, all of the variety of ways that consumers are shopping and meeting them with where they are and where they'll be in two years, right? Right, right. Before we dive into our next segment, let's hear some good news. Gaming retailer GameStop's e-commerce revenue rose 519% in Q1, with its digital sales up 1,000% in the first six weeks after closing its physical stores. Arts and crafts retailer Michael's e-commerce channel grew 296% during the first quarter after the company introduced curbside pickup and same-day delivery, expanded ship-from-store and Bopus, and enabled in-app purchases. What? 
I'd like to flip the conversation the opposite direction right now and talk about some news that's happening with the largest broadline closeout retailer in the U.S. So some big news was released about Big Lots. The discount retailer entered the grocery delivery game when it began offering same-day delivery in partnership with none other than Instacart. So available at nearly 1,400 Big Lot stores in 47 states, the new partnership brings affordable groceries as well as everyday essentials and even home decor straight to your door. Instacart's delivery service is available to more than 85% of U.S. households now, and Big Lots remained open during the pandemic, reporting comparable sales up 10.3% in the quarter ending May 2nd. The retailer also saw its e-commerce sales up 45%. So I wanted to go ahead and pass this to Tiago. What do you think about the Big Lots partnership with Instacart? So smart move, right? Understanding that grocery was considered, and, and by the way, Walmart had a similar strategy, right? Grocery is considered unessential, therefore all Walmart stores remain open, When whereas a Best Buy who does not sell grocery have to shutter their doors and just do curbside limited pickup availability. So smart move for big lots. I think it's also a smart move because Instacart works really well with the type of categories that you want immediately. Things like baby, pet, grocery, or medicine. And that's a great model for big lots to partner with a company like Instacart to be able to fulfill that and then extend the rest of their categories availability so that if someone has that instant experience through Instacart with the adjacent categories that Big Lots has. And so they will benefit tremendously from not just from this move, but think about their business model, their store closeouts, right? And the more that malls and, and other retail stores close, the more that stores like Big Lots will benefit from inventory and getting that inventory in and bulking up but they also need to build demand. So it makes sense for them to look for e-commerce as a solution, right? But you can also think that Big Lots could benefit from a marketplace model, which is something that is a, it's a nascent kind of a rise now where other independent resellers take the risk of the inventory purchasing, and then they're able to list their deals on a recognizable retailer like Big Lots. So they could even take a step further in their e-commerce model and look at something like Marketplace as a great fit for their type of business. Mm -hmm. And Marketplace, that might be an interesting approach considering what you said about they might be you know, ready with open arms to accept some of this closeout inventory that's going to come in droves. So potentially having a, a Marketplace system would help them get the product to consumers faster. Correct. So imagine the efficiency of someone who's closing the stores and instead of having to liquidate inventory, that store becomes a reseller and is able to sell those products into a marketplace scenario or a third-party reseller that wants to acquire the inventory risk and then able to sell on something like a big lots. I think those are great models for something like a marketplace to be very efficient for these types of scenarios. And I wanted to pass it to Eric because, first of all, Instacart, uh, I think they just became profitable this year. And there's been a lot of debate online about whether or not they will be able to compete with Walmart, considering their their store footprint and having everything in-house with their delivery program. 
Uh, Eric, do you think they'll be able to compete? What's your thoughts on Instacart expanding partnerships? I agree. I think it's it's smart for them. I mean, I think they're trying to use that differential and, and leverage that over multiple retailers. So I think it's really smart that they're expanding the retailers that they're working with in Minneapolis. So obviously Home of Target, you know, their partnership with Shipped has been, I think, a really successful and they've expanded that out rapidly. So to me, it's just a trend of physical retailers trying to leverage their inventory out to, again, serve the customer in multiple ways. And I think all these partnerships, I think we're just going to hear more and more about this as it's it's, it's a really smart strategy to compete with uh, Amazon and their strategy of having multiple warehouses across the country. With retailers, you've got even more warehouses, so it becomes a competitive advantage for people who partner with, with services like that. Good point, especially comparing it to how Amazon's strategy works. So, and why do you guys think the discount category is performing so well in recent years? The economy still is, there still is a bit of a haves and haves nots. There's a part of the economy that's super successful and we've had low unemployment, but I think there's still a part of the economy that is struggles a little bit with wage growth. And so I think that's been probably attractive for some of the closeout retailers. But what's interesting is some of the home goods retailers that have focused on closeouts or some of the brands in the in our space, we see a trend of people looking for visibility of products that are at a discounted price and having those kind of the experience, the fun of, of its discovery, I think is part of shopping. So I think that's one way they're successful. I think there's other way that they're successful is just they're serving a part of the market that is more value oriented and can have more focused. And to your point earlier, there's going to be, I believe, in certain categories, not across all categories, in certain categories, there are going to be a lot of closeout products as we move through the fall because retail has not been uh, buoyant across all channels. It's been buoyant across specific channels, whether it be essentials or outdoor activities or things where people can do it in a way that's sensitive to the way we're living in the COVID age. Absolutely. And for the final question about the age of COVID, on last week's episode, we asked Sucharita Kodalia Forrester and Shannon Ryan of Valtech which digital initiatives they thought would make the most impact on the retail industry. They both agreed curbside pickup is definitely here to stay and that retailers need to hunker down to solve the problem of inventory visibility in stores. So that's their thoughts. I wanted to turn the question over to you and ask, what digital initiatives do you think will have the most payoff in 2021 and beyond? The biggest thing we're working on in our business is exactly what you just said, which is inventory visibility so that you can see it no matter how you want to shop. Again, you want to pre-shop and know what's going to be in stock at that particular store when you go in or what's in stock and what's available to ship to me and leveraging our strength, which is multiple stores in multiple markets. So we have the convenience of having product close to somebody in different markets we can ship that product. If you want to pick it up in store, we can identify where that is and consumer can make a choice, but make that an easy frictionless experience so that they can see where it is, identify when they can get it, then they can, they're on to make the best decision. Whether that's pick up in store, whether that's ship it to me, whether it's integrated payment methods, financing, all the different ways that you can buy. There are so many things that go into that experience, but it has to be a frictionless experience how do you make that experience that you get when you shop in a store? How do you expand that to be digital? So it, it feels like I can get the information and be armed with what I need to have 
when I walk in that store or when I contact that customer service agent, the digital experience enhanced that. It wasn't a detractor from that. Mm-hmm. Good points. Tiago, final question. Do you agree with Eric? Do you have any other digital initiatives that you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a name for what Eric is describing. It's called unified commerce. And it's this notion that you're integrating everything, POS, OMS, your inventory management, ERP, CMS, and CRM, all of that, all of those systems created, in, you know, if you are able to integrate them all, then you're able to start to serve the customer and no matter where she shops, no matter how she wants to shop, you're able to serve that new shopper in this new day and age. So that is a big trend. And I agree that that is important, critical for mostly retailers to be able to get a handle on, on their technology to serve that consumer that wants that convenience. The other thing that, you know, we already talked about it in the show, surrogate shopping, which is looking at augmented reality, virtual reality, the teleconferencing type of things, and even virtual assistant shopping, where really someone is shopping on your behalf. That way you can still have almost like a in-person experience, but at the convenience of your home and be able to break some of these barriers from a lot of these categories that we described that still kind of might want to touch and feel that might be some barriers or some friction that you will be able to break by adopting some of these technologies. The last thing I would mention here is the rise of marketplaces. You know, retailers have this opportunity to become marketplaces, to simplify their business models by deleveraging the inventory risk and increase the profit margins through what we call collaborative commerce, which is creating these networks of sellers and buyers and leveraging their brands and their properties to enable this type of shopping to occur. And in my mind, that that's the evolution that that some of these retailers are thinking about. Certainly Best Buy, Walmart, the big retailers and Target have already created, but the technology now exists for other retailers to be either participants of a marketplace through sellers, you know, the Amazons of the world, or create their own marketplaces, which I think is an exciting time for people to start to think of their business models and how they can evolve. Mm-hmm. Good points, Tiago, from unified commerce to new- newer service models and collaborative commerce with marketplaces. I wanted to thank you both, Tiago Garcia of Vitex and Eric Saltvold, founder of Eric Spikes, for joining the rundown today. Appreciate your expertise and insights. Thank you very thank much. You. Ciao. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. That's this week's Retail Rundown. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing, reviewing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.